Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 23rd, 2018. You know, we're going to do something today we've uh, done in the past, especially in the summers. We're going to listen to a historical sermon. Going back in time to the days of the Jesus Movement, early days of Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard. Got to find the roots of the NAR and Bethel Church and places like that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those are the only kind of apostles there are today, the self-appointed kind, And uh, those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's teaching this put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, not biblical, it ain't what God's Word says, it's far Far, 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 far from it. So uh, we're going to mix it up a little bit today, and uh, I do that oftentimes during the summer because, you know, hey, it's not heresy hurricane season, and like the the, uh, slipperiest and most deceptive uh, heretics, you know, they're they're off in their private jets to... uh, Exotic resort and five, you know, exotic resorts, five diamond, you know, places and things like that. You know, (laughs) we discernment types don't pull in that kind of money, and uh, so uh, (laughs) oftentimes in the summertime, I'm left scratching my head, going, "What are we going to do for a program today?" Well, in the past, I've done a lot of things, Uh, but uh, one of the things I've been doing over the past couple of uh, years is uh, reviewing historical sermons, historical ones. Going back in time, and uh, and so what we're going to do today, I want you to hear uh, what it is that John Wimber has said about this particular sermon uh, delivered back on Mother's Day in 1980 by Lonnie Frisbee, and uh, we'll listen to what uh, John Wimber says, and then we'll just get right into the review and uh, and we're going to listen to Lonnie Frisbee's sermon that he delivered Mother's Day, 1980. Now, Lonnie Frisbee, if you're not familiar with him, he is one of the pioneers of the Calvary Chapel movement, the Jesus movement, ex-hippie, 
kind of thing. And um, he led a double life is the best way I could put it. And uh, back in the early 90s, he died of AIDS. Yeah, he did. And so what's very fascinating, uh, listening to the sermon, is his, you know, we, we hear a lot about Lonnie Frisbee, like very little, if anything, about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to try to give you kind of some of my uh, uh, initial reaction notes. You know, you know what, what was I thinking as I was listening to this? And we're going to note that uh, this is kind of an early form of many of the NAR-type sermons that we hear today. And uh, when he does get to Scripture, one of the Psalms, uh, he twists it horrifyingly bad, uh, which uh, you know kind of begs the question: How could this really be uh, a sermon that literally led to, as we're going to hear John Wimber talk about, you know, this this massive outpouring of of the Holy Spirit? Uh, and we'll note some of the techniques that Lonnie Frisbee engaged in along the way back then. And uh, and so that will be the whole episode of fighting for the faith today. So make yourself comfortable. We're gonna we're we're gonna start off with uh, John Wimber. So uh, so let's do this. So I was having this wedding, and and we had we well we didn't have we Shabbat mm, Shabbat Shunday. All right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, John Wimber, uh, the late John Wimber, is uh, one of the, uh, you know, theological ancestors, really recent theological ancestors of uh, people like Heidi Baker and uh, Patricia King and others. And, uh, yeah, the Toronto... Airport Church was a vineyard at the time that the so-called uh, Toronto Blessing uh, came flooding into uh, the uh, the church uh, like a wrecking ball. But uh, I want you to hear what John Wimber said about the sermon that we're going to be listening to uh, very shortly. So let's get to it. Here's John Wimber. The first time that the Lord Jesus Christ sent his spirit in great power among us, I was fit to be tied for days. I was so angry. I was so upset. I wanted to get out of the ministry. I yeah, you, 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 already we're going to, what? Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> um, the, yeah, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, uh, that was the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Apostle Peter was alive. And if, if you're not familiar with the event itself, go ahead and read Acts chapter 2. And so already we're in a weird place because... Uh, Lonnie Frisbee is, uh, not Lonnie, but uh, John Wimber is one of these guys who thinks that, uh, oh, there was this long period and then whammo blammo, God resent, Jesus resent his uh, Holy Spirit in power. Uh This is part of the uh, charismatic um, false narrative that uh, underpins a lot of their false theology. No way am I going to put up with, why that's absurd what God did. All right, yeah, so uh, this is another part of the narrative of the charismatic movement is is that you could tell you can always tell it's really God when uh your reason is incensed, and 
thinks that what God is doing is absurd. The more absurd, the more authentic it's got to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah, this is part of the narrative of the charismatic movement. Of course, I wasn't absolutely sure it was God. But even after I was convinced it was God, I had to... Yeah, notice there. I wasn't convinced it was God. And this is a part of you know, the big problem of the charismatic movement is, is that you listen to these stories or you see these manifestations and you sit there and go, is that God? If, if it's God, why are these people barking like dogs? Why are they laughing uncontrollably? Why are they da 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 And you sit there and you go... I, I'm not sure that is God. And so, you know, you, you, you put, and what you're taught to do is put your reason aside and just, you know, suspend your disbelief and kind of let the, the, the flow of the river of the spirit do its thing and you'll get swept up into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You don't do it that way. You have to literally open up your Bible and compare. Got me with it. And I want you to know that. When God began moving among us, and not, this particular night, we were having a church service. And, and in fact, that, that Sunday afternoon, I, I was coming out of the, the church service. It was Mother's Day of all days. Mother's Day. If you think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day. Well, I, I'm walking out of the church, and, and God says to me, tell that young man to preach tonight. Well, I'm not in the habit of just telling any old young man to preach in my church. And I said, and particularly that young man, because I heard he was a little strange. And yeah, that would be Lonnie Frisbee. And strange is indeed one way of putting it. He was a closet homosexual. I said, Lord, you want me to have him preach? And the Lord said very clearly to me, yes. So I went up to him and I said, Lonnie. All right, now note, John Wimber, in talking about this sermon that we're going to listen to, he claims God himself told uh, John Wimber that he wanted uh, Lonnie to preach, and this was the message that God wanted the people of Wimber's church to hear back in 1980. Would you like to preach tonight at my church? He said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for the chance. I thought, oh, no. I'm telling you, I died a thousand deaths all afternoon. All afternoon I agonized. I said, oh, God, you got me into it again. You got me into a mess. He's going to mess my church up. And the Lord said, when did it become your church? Yeah, and notice uh, God talks conversationally to people in the charismatic movement, like the late John Wimber. I said, oh, that's right, that's right, okay. So I went to church that night. And I, <laughs> we worshiped extra long. <laughs> I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made. But I, I, and as long as I stretched it, it was still time. And so he's sitting there all bright and alert like a kid at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking. And I sit down over on the side. And, uh, and I'm listening to him. And, and it's great. You know, I mean, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He goes, Funny, he's giving his testimony and, and his pathos in it, you know, and they're to weep a little bit, and you, you know, and, he, and you, you know, salute a couple times, and, he, and he's telling you some great verses, and you're laughing, and just having a wonderful time. I'm thinking, what was I worried about? This is great, you know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Everything's going good, you know, and all of a sudden he stops and he says, well, that's it. He said, you know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time, and uh, he's, he's quenched, but he's getting over it. 
and we're going to invite him to come and minister. Now, come, Holy Spirit, and whammo! So note, I, I want you to note this. This is a major feature of the charismatic movement. And that is, is that not only do you need to have faith that Jesus Christ bled and died for your sins, you need to have faith that these people are literally hearing from God the Holy Spirit the way they claim that they are. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so you you got to have faith in Jesus and in John Wimber and in Lonnie Frisbee and in Patricia King and whoever comes to the stage and stuff like that. And people start fighting. Well, first of all, he says, everybody 25 years and under come forward. Well, in our church, that's everybody. You know, <laughs> you know they're all coming up there. And there's hundreds of them up all crowded around the stage. And he says, come, Holy Spirit. And the next thing I know, people are falling and bouncing in there. And they're laying on the floor and they're talking like turkey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Falling on the floor, talking like turkeys. Why should we believe that's the Holy Spirit? And after we listen to the sermon, I mean, we're going to just ask the question, why should we believe that God the Holy Spirit would have anything? Why would God the Holy Spirit manifest after this sermon and the twisting of Scripture that Lonnie Frisbee is going to engage in? One kid, he falls. One kid, he falls, and the microphone falls with him, you know, and it's laying right in front of his face. And he's speaking in tongues, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about two minutes. I'm talking about 45 minutes he's talking through that microphone. And we're wading through bodies, you know, trying to get over to him. And we can't get the microphone off, and we can't get to him. And Lonnie is going like a banshee. You know, he's running through the crowd and raising his hands. And, you know, and I'm thinking he's pushing people over. He's knocking them down. But he's not even touching them. He's walking by them, and they're going wham, wham, you know, and falling everywhere. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get me out of here. And people are grabbing their Bibles and going, not me. I'm not. And they're going out the door. Some of them I never have seen. That was four years ago, you know, that they went out the door. Well, I want to tell you something. When it, when it finally stopped, when it finally stopped, Man, did I get it, you know. I started, all the staff was upset and uptight. You know, they, they didn't tell you the half of it. When, when the, Sam was mentioning that earlier today, he didn't tell you the whole story. Everybody was pretty uptight. Well, I went home, and I tried to be civil, you know, I was polite. Well, thank you very much, and I, for, for ministering. <laughs> so, I get home, you know, and I, and I try to go to sleep. I, I can't sleep. I get up, and I, I go from... Genesis to Revelation, you know, and I'm looking for Holy Spirit, come, you know, wham, wham, you know, it's not in the book, man. Yeah, that's right. It's not in the book. Uh-huh. So John Wimber's immediate reaction in the aftermath, which we're not going to cover, we, we're not, you know, because we don't have video. I only have audio of the sermon. Uh, but I want you to hear the sermon before the pandemonium broke out. Um, but John Wimber, in the aftermath of that sermon and the pandemonium that happened, he couldn't find a biblical text that backed any of it up, what it is that he experienced and saw. Huh. 
I'm upset, man. And I, you know, now it's 4:30 in the morning, and I've, you know, I'm all over and over. I did find a few verses where people fell down. That helped me a little bit. Yeah, those would be the demoniacs of scripture. But I couldn't find anything that was just like that, and so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, "Oh God, you got to do something for me." You know, I, this is terrible what's happened here. You've got to do something for him. And then suddenly it, it connected that I remembered reading something in the journal of Wesley where something like this had happened. And so I went uh, out. Yeah, Wesley's journal uh, <clears throat> is not in the Bible. Yeah, just saying. My garage and I had a big box of books on re- revivalists at different times. You know, revival histories as well as revivalists. And I got them out and brought them in the house and I started, and sure enough, some things like that happened with Whitfield, some things like that happened with Wesley. I found it in the cane. So that makes it okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there's something, some things like that sort of kind of happened with John Wesley. So it's got to be all right. Revival. And then I began going back and forth in, through church history. And, I, and about six o'clock in the morning, I'd found at least 10 different times when this kinds of phenomena had occurred. Not exactly, not Holy Spirit come wham, but things like that. You know, things where people shook and fell, people fell and this sort of thing. So I was feeling a little bit better. Now it's 6 o'clock in the morning and I'm saying, God, if this is you, I've got to have some assurance. I've got to know. If this is you. And so note what, I'm, what I've been saying. That in the charismatic movement, you not only have to have faith in Christ and believe that the Bible is the word of God, you know, things like that. But now you have to have faith that these crazy manifestations must also be from God as well. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to to believe that. Is this you? Is this something you're doing or not? Just then the phone rings. And it's my friend Tommy Stein from Denver. Now, so he was praying and just then the phone rings. This, by the way, is an example of what we've talked about many times here in Fighting for the Faith, the reading of omens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so the fact that, well, coincidentally, the phone rang while I was praying about this. Well, that means that it's got to be God. This is the reading of omens. Now, Tommy wasn't in the habit of calling me. Uh, all that often in those days, but he would call up every couple months, or I would call him. Hey, hey, what's going on, man? You know what's happening? Did you have a good day at your church? Oh, Tom, let me tell you about it, man. You know this guy, Lonnie. Oh, Lonnie, I know Lonnie. Yeah, he used to be. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Wham, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, look, man, this is what he did to me. He came in, he talked a little while, and he said, oh, spirit coming, people fell down. And people left my church, my staff's mad at me, and I'm not sure what's going on. My wife's happy as anything. She liked it all. <laughs> and he says, it's the Lord. I said, it's the Lord? He said, yeah, it's the Lord, man. It's just, that's exactly what happened to us in the early days of the Jesus people revival. The same kind of power, the same kind of manifestation. In fact, as we talked, the Spirit of God began gripping his heart, and he began repenting of some hardness that he had, towards just this kind of phenomena because he'd sort of oh yeah so see just then the holy spirit fell again and he had to repent of his hardness towards these types of phenomena hmm if i'm supposed to repent of something then that means i'm sinning yep so in other words using john wimber's narrative here you're sinning if you are hardened towards these types of phenomena, which even he wasn't even sure it was from the Holy Spirit. Away from it. 
and become too sophisticated for it. And so I felt a great deal of assurance because God had given me a witness, a credible witness, that had called someone... So God gave him a witness, not a biblical one, couldn't find it in the Bible. Uh, he found some stuff in supposedly the uh, the revivalists, uh, you know, from different uh, awakenings and things like that. But yeah, but he got a witness because a guy called him, and it just so happens to be coincidentally why he was praying and... And then he also repented of his hardness towards these kind of manifestations. Yeah, I mean, consider the impact of the, this narrative and what it's going to have on people who believe now, well, uh, this, this has got to be God. John Wimber wouldn't deceive me. Had been there, someone that had seen it from the inside out. I'd only heard about it. I'd lived here in the community, but I wasn't aware of the totality of the Jesus People movement until much after the movement had already began declining. That will come as news to some of you. But <laughs> Jesus People movement's over. It's a new day now, and God's doing some new things. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I recognized in, in, that, in that communication that, that I was in for a, a, an interesting time. Well, over the next few weeks and months... The phenomena continued to occur, uh, often unrehearsed, often without any kind of leading from us. It would just happen in place. Oftentimes unrehearsed, which begs the question, does that mean that the other times that it occurred that it was rehearsed? Notice he didn't say every time, totally unrehearsed. Just oftentimes it would be unrehearsed. That's weird. Uh, our young people began roaming the community in packs. We would see them sometimes in parking lots and in front of houses raising their hands and praying for people, and wham, they would go. And over the, that was in May. By, the, by September, we had baptized over 700 new converts. Evangelism was occurring everywhere. That was not, those were the ones we baptized. The best we can figure, there may have been as many as 1,700 new converts in that three-and-a-half-month period. Were they brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? The ones that we baptized, the ones that came toward us as, as, uh, and became involved in the fellowship, was approximately 700. God was on the move. I had never seen evangelism like that. I had never known that there was that kind of power. The problem was, I didn't have any grid to sort it with. Nothing I had ever been... Not a biblical grid. ...taught in my educational background helped me to understand Holy Spirit come whammo and how that related to evangelism. Now, by the way, this uh, soundbite that we've been listening to from John Wimber is from his Power Evangelism seminar, and we covered that. We actually reviewed it in its entirety, uh, I think either last summer or the summer before. So you, you kind of get the idea of what's going on here, and fascinating that he couldn't find any biblical text to back it up, so he had to basically read an omen. And in order to get a confirmation, yeah, that's John Wimber's own account of this particular sermon. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, and do this the right way. We will do a full-blown sermon review here. And uh, so since we're going to be doing that, let's do this. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're going back to Mother's Day night, 1980. John Wimber's church, Lonnie Frisbee, will be preaching. We'll call this sermon, Holy Spirit, come. And uh, we're going to note that uh, Lonnie Frisbee... 
again, who died of AIDS in the early 1990s because of his um, sexual practices that were sinful, that uh, he's going to talk a lot about himself, and when he gets to the Bible, he's going to twist it. And you're going to have to ask yourself, if does being a Christian require me to believe that this man is actually hearing from God? Rather than the, the, the biblical prophets and the apostles, now we've got to believe that Lonnie Frisbee also is hearing directly from God. And that's kind of the confusing thing. And if you end up saying yes, you open yourself up to all kinds of crazy doctrines and Bible twisting. So let me back up on the music. And without any further ado, here is Lonnie Frisbee and Holy Spirit, come. Here we go. I think the Lord's going to meet us tonight in a special way. So I want you to be in expectancy for a move of the Spirit of God. Now, note, those are the very first words of this sermon, which is the technique used by hypnotists to create expectation. Mm-hmm. So very first words, I believe that God's going to do something, wow, you know, here. And, uh, and so have, you know, expectancy. So already he's wetting their appetite for a manifestation of the Spirit, which is actually akin to uh, the same technique used by hypnotists. The Lord says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also in the midst of them. Wherever two or three will agree as touching anything, it shall be given unto them. This morning when we were coming to church, I was with a friend named Mark. We got out of the car. And all of a sudden, there was this, this word, Zion, came into my mind. Zion. And I- mm-hmm. So, you know, no, you know, this word Zion came into his mind. It's got to be God. Uh-huh. So you got to believe in the Bible and in direct revelations received uh, by Lonnie Frisbee. I told Mark, I said, we're going to Zion. <laughs> we're marching to Zion right now. I said, Zion used to be a mountain. A specific place. But now, Zion is, is the mountain of God, is where the people of God gather. And I said, we're going to Zion right now. We came in, John said, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and he preached on Mount Zion. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing how the Lord gives you confirmations. John and I met three years ago at the pastor's conference. And the Lord told us that he was going to join us together, and it's taken three years to do it because I'm a chicken. I kind of shy away from authority, but he's not too bad. (laughs) He kind of reminds me of a teddy bear, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Some of... Some of you don't know me, so I'll just share a little bit about what the Lord has done. I It's going to be a little smorgasbord tonight. So he's going to share a little bit of what the Lord has done. And I don't think he's going to open up a biblical text and read out one of the gospel narratives. Uh, I started in the ministry 12 years ago uh, in the Haight-Ashbury with a group of people that had been called out to serve the Lord out of the organized church. It was outside of the organized church. Out of the organized church. Another major component of the uh, charismatic narrative. 
Yeah, we got to get out of the organized church because the the spirit's been throttled there, stifled there, and and God is offended by the organized church. So we've got to raise up a bunch of people from outside of the organized church. We weren't um, involved in any kind of church structure at all. We were just regular old roper dopers. And uh, I was a nudist vegetarian hippie. <laughs> And so when the Lord called me, I went, I was going into the desert and I was taking all my clothes off and I'm going, God, if you're really real, reveal yourself to me. Uh, God, if you're really real, reveal yourself to me. Yeah. Um, we're, we know that God is really real because God became a man, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, rose again on the third day. Uh, according to the scriptures, according to the eyewitness testimony that we have. Uh-huh. Well, God doesn't promise to give you a sign. And one afternoon... Oh, and by the way, I mean, Romans 2 also makes it clear, you already know God exists. The whole atmosphere of this canyon that I was in started to tingle and get light, and it started to change, and I'm just going, uh-oh. I didn't want to be there. But the Lord identified himself. He said, I'm Jesus. He said, I build nations and I tear them down. It's better for a nation never to have known me, but to have known me and turned their back from me. That's one of the first things. that. Mm, so Jesus uh, made himself known and he appeared directly to Lonnie Frisbee. Now, wouldn't this make Lonnie uh, an apostle? Uh-huh. God told me. I didn't know what that meant. I killed nations, and I turned them down. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And I don't need you to tell me that. Jesus said that in front of the eyewitnesses who wrote the Gospels, and that's recorded for us in Scripture. Yeah. I am the door of the sheepfold. If any man enters in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And yeah, John, Jesus said that, and it's recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Don't need you to have a direct revelation from Jesus for me to know that to be true. Gatekeeper will not open unto him. So he, I always thought that all roads led to Rome. But he explained to me that he was the only way to know God. So I accepted him, and he said, I'm going to send you to the people. And I saw a vision of thousands of people, and they were wandering around in a maze of gray darkness, bumping into one another with no direction or purpose for their lives. And then the Lord showed me that there was a light on me, that he was placing on my life, and it was Jesus Christ, and I was going to go bear the word of the Lord. So I started to immediately look around for a staff, because, you know, all prophets have staffs. <laughs> In the movies, they do. So, so he thought he was a prophet after this apparent encounter with Jesus. Heston did. So I had a little uh, taste for the flamboyant, so I got a staff, you know. Now, a little bit of a note here. He just said that he had a little taste for the flamboyant. Knowing how Lonnie Frisbee died... And knowing, because I grew up in the 80s, knowing how um, 
uh, how homosexuals at the time really kept everything that they were doing on the down low. You, you just have to wonder, with him saying that, I, I had a real taste for the flamboyant, if that was not him putting the signal out there to uh, anyone else who also had a taste for the flamboyant. I just I have to wonder, is that homosexual code talk that we just heard from Lonnie Frisbee? Let me back it up just a little bit and listen again. Something has been dead. So I had a little uh, taste for the flamboyant, so I got a staff, you know. And I, I immediately started to grow my hair a little bit longer than it was, so I grew my hair down to here. I grew a long beard. You know, I, I couldn't tell a secret after the sixth grade. And I, I just had a full beard, at, you know, at an early age, and... So I, I really looked like Isaiah's grandson. <laughs> and I was pastoring at Calvary at the age of 19, but they never knew how old I was because I looked like I was just come out of a cave. I wore St. Francis of Assisi shirts with hoods on them and wore a robe and things like that. And... I was in a little Baptist, I mean a little four-square church when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And uh, there was this evangelist from Texas. He was kind of dressed like this. <laughs> and by the way, Ephesians 4 is very clear. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a false doctrine and a false baptism. <laughs> and he was the kind of man that, you know, threw the microphone cord around and said, in the name of Jesus, you know, and he's sweating all over the place. And I, well, I got it, you know. I couldn't help but get it. It was like 10,000 volts of electricity. But these people were falling down on the floor. And when they fell down on the floor, they threw blankets over them. And I thought, that must be the mantle of the Lord. <laughs> you know, like uh, like in the Old Testament where they threw the mantle over the chariot and he picked it up and he touched the stream. So I thought that, that was the mantle of the Lord. I didn't know that they were modesty blankets. I didn't see that they were just throwing them on the women to cover up their knees. I thought, But I thought it was the anointed mantle of the Lord. So I got my own. I didn't like the, the blankets they were using, so I got a deer skin to be my mantles. And I painted a picture of Jesus on it, and I wore it like a cape. So when I would pray for people and the Spirit of God would come on them, I'd take off my cape and throw the mantle over the top of them like this. When the ministry started getting good, I had to get two leathers. <laughs> then I read in the Old Testament how there was an anointing oil and, and that God gave a recipe for. So I, I got a big old wine bottle, old one with cork in it, and I got some olive oil from the Holy Lands. I poured it in this wine bottle and I got a cinnamon stick and put that in there. Got a frankincense and myrrh, 
put that in there, you know, a little Catholic flavor. And Which biblical text is he preaching from in this sermon of his? Yeah, we really are not hearing God's word exegeted. We're hearing his life exegeted. The theology that he's preaching burbles up from his personal experiences, not from Scripture. Then I had also, before I had been turned my life over to the Lord, I had been reading a little Edgar Casey, and he put Witch Hazel and everything that he gave. So I put yeah, Edgar Casey, Spiritist, yeah, demonically so. Hazel in it too, just for good measure. And I shook it up, and I aged it, and then I, I had a, a deer skin bag that I carried my Bible in that was covered with an animal skin, and I carried my bottle of anointing oil. And I was reading about in Psalm 133 how uh, unity is like the precious oil that came down upon the beard of Aaron, even upon his skirts. So I always wanted to do everything scriptural. When I would anoint people, I would anoint them real good. And so when, when the Spirit of God started moving in the ministry and people would go under the power, I'd take the cape off, put it over them like this, take the oil out, take a cork of my teeth like this, and anoint them. And it ran down. But the Lord started straightening me out, and, and He led Chuck and I together. And one night we were sharing our testimony in the church for the first time. And at that particular time, there was a core of about 30, and there were about 90 that were attending the church. We had a little church. It was about as big as the corner of the room right here. It fit 90 people com comfortably, a hundred tight. And we were at the altar praying that night. There were 15 of us at the altar praying. And the Spirit of God came through the prophecy with Case Smith and said to us, because of your... Praise and adoration before my throne tonight. I'm going to bless the whole coast of California. Did you catch that theology? So because of the praise and adoration that Lonnie Frisbee engaged in at this particular church, God was so impressed that he decided that he was going to bless the entire West Coast. Wow. Um, that's some pretty bizarre theology. And I thought, whoo, she really thought of a dilly tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, the whole coast of California, that's got to be God. And when we started to receive the word as from God, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon us and we began to weep. And the Lord began to give people visions of that prophecy and then the Lord continued on to say that it was going to move across the United States and then go to the different parts of the world. And that, that, when there was hardly any young people going to Calvary at all, from that day on, we went to the beaches and we went to the parks. And we went out reaching, taking the Great Commission as if it depended on us, not relying on anybody else to do it except us. And... I sense that we're experiencing a second wave of God. So he senses that we're going to experience a second wave of this. I mean, yeah. And remember, he started off with, yeah, you got to have a spirit of expectancy. He believes 
God wants to do something, whoo, you know, in the congregation that night. Uh-huh. Yeah, already the theology is not biblical. Already he's preaching himself. He ain't preaching Christ. And he hasn't exegeted a single biblical text yet. I believe that we're having a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, something similar to what I sensed back then, 11 years ago. I, I sense it in the atmosphere. I sense it in the eyes. He, he senses it in the atmosphere in the eyes. Okay. I sense it in the, in the voices of the people that I, I hear responding to the Lord in this hour. God is moving upon you in a very blessed way. And some of you are are just new to it. You're just being introduced to it. And I always thought it would continue on and on, and it was always going to be the same. But you know, revival doesn't always continue on. And I want to encourage you tonight to go on in what God is doing. Press into it. Go on. Press into it. Press into what? Yeah, you're going to note that defining this is... um quite difficult it's very sketchy uh-huh don't take advantage of the timing or the season that we're in one of the secrets the reason why there's 25,000 people going to calvary out there is because it was one of the secrets is a secret and this is this is the secret as to why there's so so many people going to calvary chapel mixture of things I think it's important to hear the story. First of all, when I first met Chuck and the people that went to his church, they were mostly all John Birchers. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I didn't know the diff I didn't know what a John Bircher was. I used to go take communion with the Mormons. I didn't know the difference between a Jehovah Witness. I used to invite them in and talk about Jesus. But anyway, I was an extreme leftist, marching in the peace rallies, and I was against Vietnam. And and here was a whole bunch of John Birchers, and they were inviting me in. And you see how much of a miracle that was? <laughs> to fellowship with the long hair when they believed in, in the John Birch Society uh, type of doctrine, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it, it was a radical accepting, uh, dropping of, of uh, opinions. Then it was, it was the age, it was the wisdom of the age and the zeal of the youth that was combined together. I think that you have that flavor here. I sense that. But you see, the young people were saying, don't trust anybody over 30. Well, I'm 31 now. I have to change my doctrine. <laughs> That's what the young people thought. Don't trust anybody over 30. And there were good reasons. I mean, you know, you got to understand rednecks, you know, and forgive them. <laughs> but then the zeal of the youth, the adults at the same time were saying, stupid kids, you know, you don't have a brain in your head. Get over the body of Christ functioning together because the responsibility in these days is too great for one man. It's crushing. I see men, ministers having nervous breakdowns because they, they don't learn how to delegate authority. 
You are a model of what God wants to show the church a lot of places. Mm. So note then that the people there who are hearing this at John Wimber's church, a place where experimentation and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, was a big deal back then, uh, that that uh well they god wanted to you know use them to demonstrate what he wants to do in the churches so they were a prototype for uh for everybody uh-huh move flow it'll be a little dangerous learn how to step out you know a little bit more when the lord says come the lord is saying come the lord tonight is saying to you come Let's go. So, so the Lord's telling these people, you got to come now. Where are we going? Oh, into a greater dimension. Oh. oh, God's calling you into a greater dimension. Where's that in the Bible? Listen to this. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. Now, this is the part that's interesting because this is the part where he's now going to rip a passage of scripture from the text of the Bible, and he is going to kind of force it into the theology of his experiences and the theology of what he feels that God is saying and wanting to do right now. So uh, let's take a look at that text. The text in question, by the way, is Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And in the ESV, the uh, the chapter heading, which is not inspired, by the way, says the future glory of Israel. And so the idea then is, is that this is a text that is telling us it, you know, about the eschaton, but it's also proleptic in the sense that uh, the eschaton is, uh, is seen through... Um, uh, a, a sooner fulfillment with the exiles returning from Babylon. That's kind of the idea of what's going in on in Isaiah 60. And oftentimes, Scripture will take, you know, two uh, two events and push them together: a near event prophetically, and then a far event uh, that uh, has yet to be fulfilled. And so, this is one of those things where a, a kind of a picture of the return of the exiles of Babylon in Babylon to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the walls, has eschatological themes that are running through it. And so it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising." Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And then you shall be see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And so you can kind of see how that all these things are kind of smooshed together in Isaiah 60, which is the text that um, Alani Frisbee is now invoking. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, 
and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come unto the light, come unto thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Now, it's nice that he's reading it out, I think, from the King James. But the question is, what is it referring to? What does it mean? What is the referent of Isaiah 60? Flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Now, we're living in the age... Of the Gentiles, we're coming. To <laughs> we're living in the age of the Gent. That has nothing to do with this text. The close of an age. What you're experiencing right now is a period of grace. It's not going to last. The country is in severe trouble. Last week, I was with seven thousand leaders from all over the United States which included the largest assembly of cross-pollination of the body. Yeah, whoever you were with back in, you know, 1980 uh, regarding the United States has nothing at all to do with this text. Christ in the history of the United States, and all, every one of those speakers got up and said, we're really in trouble. The only help and the only hope for the... The country right now is how the church is going to respond to turning to God. Christians in the United States are spoiled. They are in some other countries too. The enemy does it with prosperity. He does it with prosperity. That's how come people are trying so desperately to cling on to the prosperity doctrines. I don't want to slam that too hard, but... Uh, we're, we're blinded by materialism. Now, notice how this scripture says, arise. It says, get up. Get up. Make yourself available. I think that the word... For <laughs> this text does not say, nor even mean, that what God is telling us right now is that we need to make ourselves available. Which, by the way, this is uh, classic. Uh, you know, charismatic talk and charismatic narrative and theology that that God can use you only if, though, you make yourself available. Today is availability. I do. I've heard the Spirit of God say that. Availability. I'll use anyone. Yeah, he said he heard the Spirit of God say that, not the biblical text. Doesn't say that in Isaiah 60, but he heard the Spirit of God say that. Now, if you feel a complex and you say, Lord, you can't use me, I'm nothing. You know, when some of you had a struggle to get up and talk, every time that you have an opportunity to share the Lord, remember, it's not by your strength, it's not by might or by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And if the Lord could speak through a jackass, he can speak through you. All right? Now, it says... 
shine. This is the countenance of the Lord coming from I love to see freshly born again believers. Can you see? So shine, this is the countenance of the Lord coming from us. Oh, man. Um, I'm pretty sure that Isaiah 60 is not referring to anything going on in Southern California in the year 1980. Something about their countenance? Do you know when somebody really meets the Lord? Because when you look at them, they're shining. They just... <laughs> everything's fresh. Everything's new. They glow in the dark, apparently. Everything has so much hope to it. It's really the countenance of the Lord. The high priest of God used to stand up and lift up their hands to the people and say, you know, uh, let your face be lifted up upon their faces. May your countenance be lifted up upon them. That means what happened to Moses when he went to the mountain. He encountered the living God. Yeah, the the high priestly benedictory prayer was, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. Yeah, so he doesn't even know what he's talking about here. Uh, he, he's mangling now the high priestly benediction. He came back. To the people, and he shines. His skin shines physically. His eyes shine. It was real. It was something they could see. It scared them. He had to cover his face. It was real. We can read about it. And so it says, "Shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you." Did you know that that can be a witness to the people? When you don't even have to speak a word to them? Have you ever had somebody come up to you on the street and say... So apparently, if you make yourself available and start shining, that, that'll, that, I mean, that'll do pre-evangelism for you. Yeah, so if you are a glow-in-the-dark Christian, you, you, can, uh, you, know, you can do pre-evangelism that way, according to Lonnie Frisbee. This is nonsense. What's about you? Have you ever had somebody do that? Why are you so happy? Why are your eyes so shiny? Well, if they'd asked me years before that, uh, <laughs> I said, acid. <laughs> but now it's the Holy Ghost. And it, and it doesn't compare to anything that the world has. And this is what the world wants. They want the peace. They want the, the radiance of life. And that's what the Lord says. But it doesn't promise you a rose garden. I like that country western song, you know. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Sometimes I hear the Lord singing that to me in the spirit. I never promise you a rose garden. You, you hear God singing, I never promise you a rose garden inside of your heart. So, no, you know, so not only do I have to believe that Jesus Christ is true God, true man, born of the Virgin Mary, bled and died for my sins, rose bodily from the grave, ascended into heaven. Yeah, no, now I've got to believe that God the Holy Spirit sings, I never promised you a rose garden inside of the heart of Lonnie Frisbee. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the same place where his... Um, 
<clears throat> sexual temptations arose from. Oh, can you relate to that? So come to the Lord. He'll heal you. He'll prosper you. Everything will be all right. You won't have any problems. He'll take care of everything. Or go to hell and roast like a chestnut. And we get these ministers promising everything on a silver platter and then you come along a couple of years into the Lord, the honeymoon's over, and you're going, what's this? Trials? Tribulations? Oh no! No fair! Oh, the rapture is coming and it's fun. We're becoming Christian escape artists. I have my hope in the Lord. I have my hope in the second coming. But let me tell you something. Consider it not strange, brethren, the fiery trial that will test your faith, as if some strange thing has come upon you. That's in the Bible. So look at what it says right here. I think that we should be prepared I don't think that the church is going to have to have to suffer God's wrath, but I think that pre-tribulation to the great tribulation is going to be bad enough. And I think it's already upon us with the marriage problems and the, the confusion in the head and all kinds of things that are coming upon the Christians. Look at this. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Gross darkness to people. Yeah, again, he's not rightly handling Isaiah 60 at all, which begs the question, why, according to, remember, John Wimber told us that after he preached this sermon, he, Lonnie Frisbee, said, Holy Spirit, come, and then blammo, all pandemonium broke loose, and people were speaking in tongues so rapidly, writhing on the ground, that they sounded like turkeys. That's what John Wimber said. And my question is, why would God the Holy Spirit manifest himself um, in power after the preaching of this sermon? This sermon where Isaiah chapter 60 was clearly mangled, clearly not taught correctly, and Lonnie Frisbee clearly was teaching false doctrine and exegeting his own life and teaching a theology that burbled up from his own personal experiences rather than from, you know, the written word of God. You see, we, we've got a major problem here, major problem, because not only do I need to believe in Jesus, but I need to believe that Lonnie Frisbee is hearing directly from God the Holy Spirit, and that he can operate in miraculous signs and weird manifestations of the Spirit, all while preaching and teaching false doctrine and twisting God's Word. That doesn't make any biblical sense at all. Clearly shows you that John Wimber didn't know his Bible well enough to spot the very obvious red flags and errors that were uh, on parade in bright flamboyant colors.
for all to see and hear in this sermon. We're going to pause right there and pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, the balance of uh, the come... Holy Spirit uh, by Lonnie Frisbee uh, preached on Mother's Day 1980. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of What the Buzz, where we show you the latest, the greatest, the most fantastic and controversial inventions in the Christian world of tomorrow, today. In studio with me right now is the infamous Dr. Ergen Kanner with his latest product called Ergen Kanner's Testimony Enhancement Spray. Dr. Kanner, please tell us how you invented this marvelous product. It all started when I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. My conversion to Christianity was a relatively mundane one. Being a run-of-the-mill Christian is not what we call exciting. I bet. When I would try to tell my pagan friends why they too should be Christians, all they did was laugh at me and tell me how pathetic my Christian testimony was. I knew then that if my story of how I chose Jesus was more compelling, then I would be able to reach more people. It wasn't until years later that I created the spray that you see before you now. Well, what does it do? It does exactly what I said it does. For example, after using this spray, I was able to completely change my Christian testimony. I went from being a boring, middle-aged man to an individual who grew up under the oppression of Islam. I was part of the Islamic Youth Jihad, and I had been personally trained by terrorists of Al-Qaeda. When I moved to America in my 15th year, I was plagued by ridicule and bullying in my high school. People would call me Sand Monkey and push me around like a ragdoll. I wished to crush the infidels where they stood. Luckily for me, I found Jesus and accepted him into my heart before I committed acts of terrorism. Instead of a bomb on my back, I now had the cross of Jesus. That's an amazing story! Has your spray worked with other people? Yes, yes it has. Take a listen to some unenhanced testimonies from these non-actors about my product. Before I used Ergen Canner's Testimony Enhancement Spray, I was a boring accountant working for a small firm in the farthest reaches of upstate New York. Me, being a Christian, was about as compelling as watching paint dry. 
Then I became a pirate from the 17th century who personally helped sack the Spanish main. I pillaged and plundered the heart and soul out of the Caribbean for many a year. Then one day, I miraculously accepted Jesus into my heart and I was saved. I put up me cutlass forever and sailed to America with the hope of telling more people that Jesus died so that they might live in luxury. I was a simple stay-at-home dad who didn't have any real ambitions in life other than taking care of my children. I'd always go to my local mega church and experience the presence of God. My friends who did fantasy football with me never really found my Christian walk to be that compelling. So now, I'm an ex-assassin who carries out hundreds of missions for the government around the world. There isn't anybody on Earth that I couldn't kill with a pair of chopsticks and a stick of bubblegum. During one of my last missions, I came across the family who had told me the good news, that I had the power to forgive myself of all the debts I had wrought. In that moment, I felt a change come over me as I led Jesus into my heart, and I gave up my life of murder forever. I used to be normal and happy. Then one day my church counselor, Mr. Gary Sunshine, told me to go on an Emmaus walk to find Jesus. I guess I didn't trust in God hard enough because I was lost in the wilderness for over three months. Jesus never showed up and Mr. Snuggles didn't make it. I had almost died from starvation, then a helicopter came, and... What are you doing here? That's not a testimony. You do not even use spray. Get out! Um, you promised me five dollars for the testimony. I'm not paying you for that garbage. Get out! Be sure to pick up your very own bottle of Ergen Tanner's Testimony Enhancement Spray from Los Lobos Ministry Products. Order now! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at Gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Uh. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, believing in Jesus doesn't require you to believe that God is talking to Lonnie Frisbee or Heidi Baker or Dr. Brown, you know, people like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Uh, when you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95. Month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. If you want to become a patron, click on the Become a Patron button uh, on Patreon. And uh, let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's return to this uh, historical sermon that we've been listening to uh, by Lonnie Frisbee, uh, Come Holy Spirit, preached uh, on Mother's Day evening service, 1980, at John Wimber's church. Here we go. What's happening? But the Lord will rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon you, and there will come a blessing as we enter into covenant, as we enter into community, as we enter into the things of God, and he shows us a freshness that his presence will come upon us. Yeah, what you're doing with Isaiah 60 has nothing to do with what that text is actually pointing to and what it really means. Shine through us, and he'll anoint our word. He'll anoint our efforts. And then it talks about world evangelism. Talks about the, the abundance of the sea. The kings of the Gentiles will... <laughs> no, it does, it's not, that's not talking about world evangelism. Wow. ...come unto you, and they'll be converted. 
the disciples said, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now, huh, Lord? Huh, huh, huh? And he said, The times and the seasons which are set by the Father, they are fixed by him. Don't be concerned. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in your town and the towns around about and into the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe that the Lord is going to put an emphasis on getting us together and then it says they shall then you shall see then you shall see and you shall yeah Look. all the things you're talking about are not none of it is actually referring to anything that was that took place in 1980 oh together the body of Christ is not flowing together the body of Christ is fragmented and split on opinions but we're coming into an hour now well, we're going to see. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see the Lord in our midst. We're seeing the Lord in our midst now. He's moving down the aisles and healing people. He's moving down the aisles and baptizing people. And we shall flow together. That's the unity that Jesus spoke about in the prayer in John chapter 17. And in Psalm 133. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now, the Lord ha- wants us to act. He wants us to present ourselves so that we can become vessels of this power. Because so many of us have tried. God wants us to present ourselves so that we can become vessels of this power? Wow, that is blasphemous. That is, whoa, that is a major twisting of this text, and that is false doctrine, straight up. I wonder why uh, John Wimber wasn't able to spot this. In our own human effort to go out and serve God, it doesn't work. It fails every single time. Now, let's enter into some ministry. I'm going to ask, for you not to be concerned about yourself. The most anointed... Yeah, so he's going to have a little musical interlude, and this is, again, part of the charismatic uh, narrative. Don't be concerned about yourself. Just turn that brain of yours off so that you can flow in the river of the Spirit. Meetings that I have ever seen where people are, are not asking for themselves. Not that that's wrong, but... I want you to ask for the needs of the people that are here. Alright? And I ask for you to, to be a minister. Be a priest. And we'll just quickly move right into this. I'm gonna have the adult minister to the young people. I think there needs to be still healing between the generation gap. And so, there's some things that the Lord has pointed out to me. Hands are for healing. The gifts of the Spirit are ministered by the laying on of hands. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is ministered by the laying on of hands. There's impartation of authority by the laying on of hands. This sounds like prototype NAR. When Jesus left this earth, the last thing that he did is he lifted up his hands and he blessed the disciples. And then he went out of their sight with his hands lifted up like this, blessing. The Old Testament priests used to raise their hands to the people and bless the people. I don't think it was for no reason. I think it was for a reason. That's why Jesus lifted up his hands. That's why the priests lifted up his hands. And one more example, Moses, when they were in... Yeah, so, I mean, (laughs) you know, apparently your hands are like magic wands of the Holy Spirit now. Note, he's just pointing to examples in Scripture where people lifted up their hands. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit works then through this, is imparted via the hands, which none of these texts say. Why didn't John Wimber spot that? Battle, in a battle that they might have lost, when Moses lifted up his hands, they won! When he put his hands down, they lost. Shows you something about the authority. So the authority lifted up his hand. When he got tired, they lost. So he had body ministry. No joke. I mean, Lonnie Frisbee sounds as wacky as Patricia King and Heidi Baker. And the reason why is because he was. The brothers propped up one arm. Another brother propped up this arm. And he says, what a glorious ministry the Lord's given me. He couldn't hold his arms up by himself. The work was so great. But that's all he had to do is hold his hands up. And the blessing of God came out of him. I'm going to ask the adults as we move into ministering to the young people, if they will extend their hands towards the young people and really bless them like priests. It's your responsibility to get in. So they're going to do some ministry right now, and old people are going to point their hands at the young people in order to minister to them. This is not taught anywhere in Scripture. Prayer closet. It's your responsibility to hold the young people of this church up before God because they're going to hold a key position in being evangelists and bringing the, the harvest in in the last time. So we're going to give the adults an opportunity to minister to the young people. Dan, will you come and, and, and start playing uh, his name? Is his ointment poured for This is a beautiful song. It came out of the revival in Africa and... We'll just sing it one time or two times and enter into the atmosphere of the Lord. Let's sing it. Enter into the atmosphere of the Lord. Where, where is that taught in Scripture? Who wants and learn it good and then we'll wait upon the Lord. Everybody stay in the atmosphere of prayer and expect the Spirit of God to move. Expect. Expect the Spirit of God to move. That's a hypnotism technique. <clears throat> His name is his ointment poured forth. You say the name of Jesus four times and then repeat his name as his ointment poured forth. <laughs> it's like a 7-Eleven song. Just a few words repeated over and over and again. Everybody sing and everybody sing out loud and clearly, okay? His name is as ointment All right. In colleges. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Yeah, we fast-forwarded there. With education, there's nothing wrong with advanced modern medicine. But if it stands in the way 
of God, and it becomes an idol so that it eliminates the supernatural, then we have to put those things to the side and see what God says in his word. And we have to rise up from the arena of the flesh, and we have to soar into the heavenlies, and we have to get spiritually minded about the promises of God. Now, I don't know how to do that. I just kind of stumble into it, one experience after another. I've been defeated. So he doesn't know how to do the thing he's telling everybody they need to do, but he stumbled into figuring out how to do it through his experiences. Wow. You will, too. I went back on staff at Calvary three years ago after getting involved in some spiritual error that the enemy almost wiped me out with, but I was cast down but not forsaken. And Chuck was gracious, very gracious to me, to give me another opportunity to come back and minister at Calvary. So I went back on staff, and after listening to people's problems from 8 to 5 for one year, I said, (laughs) if I have to listen to one more people's problems, I'm going to have a bigger problem than anybody in this church. I'm not a pastor. And And Chuck says, well, how about going to Africa? I said, trying to get rid of me? So he asked me to take a team to Africa, and that was on a Wednesday. And I went in on Friday, and and I went to my went to my check box, and the check wasn't in there. He said, "Hey, where's my check?" They said, "We'll go down to accounting." I I said, "John, where's my check?" He said, "Pastor says you're living by faith now." <laughs> I thought I had it made in the shade, you know, but I said. I was really mad. I'm going, Lord, you know, that there's so much money. And I was getting all upset. And the Lord says, well, who are you trusting? Me or Chuck Smith? I said, Chuck Smith. Yeah, notice God talks to him in dialogue fashion. <laughs> I was. I had forgot what it was like to live by faith because I had a check coming in every Friday. When you have a check coming in, that's not necessarily living by faith. So I I said, well, I'm going to have to get my old notes out on how to live by faith and blow the dust off of them. So I started to be challenged by living by faith. And uh, I said, oh, boy, I'm going to live by faith. I know that God is going to provide for me even better than men provided for me. So when you're living by faith, you can't tell people. That means they say, how's it going, brother? And you say, "Uh," ask me again. Where in Scripture does it say if you're living by faith, which is what every Christian does, uh, you can't communicate that you have needs? Where in the Bible does it teach this doctrine? Answer, it doesn't. This is a man-made doctrine. Man-made by Lonnie Frisbee. And then you let them know, you secretly on the side let them know, well, you know, you don't have any money and things are bad they could kind of give you a Pentecostal handshake, everything would be all right. But the Lord doesn't allow you to do that. And the Lord says, don't you dare tell anybody that you're you're broke. <laughs> and so I had a little bit of money in the bank, and I started to use that money to live on. And one week went by, a couple of weeks went by, ten weeks went by. Nobody gave me any money. 
That's as long as I had gone without anybody giving me any money. Because they all thought that I was being taken care of. And so I had $150 left. And I went on the radio. And I told people to pray for me that we were going to go take a team to Africa. Well, I was talking to my folks. And I said, did you tell your friends that your son's going to Africa? And my mother says, I'm not telling my friends nothing about you. I don't believe anything you do anymore. When you're in Africa, I'll tell my friends. And I went, bummer. Though your mother and father forsake thee, I will not forsake thee. Well, I knew that I had to do something. I knew that I had to, I had to make a, act, a leap of faith of some kind because my refrigerator was empty. My cupboard was empty. My truck was empty. I was empty. There was nothing. Absolutely nothing. I had one nickel in my pocket to my name. That's the truth. I got up, put a three-piece suit on. That'll win every time. Put a tie on. <laughs> As deceivers yet true. And I combed my, I put some vitalis on my hair and I combed it back. And I went in there, you know, into the Costa Mesa travel and I sat down and I said, I want Two tickets around the world with train passes and visas and the whole, it came to $6,000. $6,000. And the travel agency woman said, boy, you're pretty young to be going on a big trip like this. And I'm a missionary. I'm going to Africa for Jesus. Hallelujah. She said, what church? I said, Calvary Chapel. I go to Calvary Chapel. She said, oh, I'm not a believer, but I send my children to the school. And here I just had made, I had just made $6,000 worth of tickets. And I only had a nickel in my pocket. And the devil said, you dummy, what are you going to pay for this with? And she's not a believer, but she sends her kids to Calvary school. And Chuck doesn't even know you're down here doing this, you juvenile delinquent. <laughs> and I, I started to get afraid. And yet there was a voice that said, keep on going, Lonnie, keep on going. And so I, I... He sure does have a lot of voices in his head. Yeah, that's usually a, a sign of a problem. Mm-hmm. That they're kind of numb and smiled and backed out. And for three, she said, come back in in three days and pick up, pick up the tickets. They'll be ready. We have to send away to Kenya to get the visas and all that. And it's going to cost you $6,000, I think. Fine, praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> I, w I was telling the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to sell some cows for me. <laughs> On the third day, I was laying in bed, resting before the Lord. I didn't want to get up. <laughs> I said, hallelujah. It hit the ceiling and it fell back down. And deep, my secretary... It was working along with me. She called me up on the phone. She said, Lonnie, somebody just sent you a cashier's check for $25,000 in the mail. And I said, Dee, don't fool with me like that. Now you know. <laughs> she said, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here counting the zeros. One, two, three. I felt like I won a door number three on let's make a deal. <laughs> And I ran down there and looked at the check, and sure enough, and I called a man on the phone, and I said, I would like to meet you, 
He didn't go to Calvary Chapel, and I never met him in my life. He was completely a stranger to me. And I, he says, no, I don't want anybody to know who I am. I want to give the money as a gift to the Lord. And so I talked him into having lunch with me, and he said, you know, I want to tell you that it, it was one of the most sweetest experiences I've ever had with the Lord. He said, I was sitting in my office, and the Lord said, you know that kid that you heard on the radio three weeks ago? And he said, yeah. He said, I, he's my servant. Send him $25,000. He said, $25,000? That's too much money. And the Lord says, whose money is it? Yours or mine? He said, yours, Lord. He said, then send him the money. So he got up and he made a check and he put it through his own little personal check maker. He ran it through and the check maker crunched it up. So he says, I knew that that was the devil. <laughs> and the Lord says, get off of it and make another one. So we got together. So we're hearing lots of words from the Lord. Not, not really any of them are in the Bible. And the ones we did hear from the Bible, totally twisted. Huh. That though, I said, when was that? Uh, he said, three days ago, I was sitting in my study at this particular time. It was the same time that I was buying the tickets. The same time. Yeah, reading of omens, reading of omens there. Yep. This whole thing is a mess. And they got there on the day that I was supposed to pay for them. And so that the Lord provided for me to visit 37 countries in the last two years. And the Lord is pouring out his spirit in a beautiful way. God sent us to South Africa. There's a revival breaking out in South Africa. One of the sweetest moves of God. People being filled with the Holy Spirit. We went, we went into this one Baptist church, gave a call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 300 people, 300 Baptists came forward. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I've already made this point. Notice that Baptists now are receiving a second baptism, according to Lonnie Frisbee. Yeah, more proof that this whole theology and this experiential stuff is completely in conflict with sound doctrine and what Scripture teaches, which begs the question, why would God the Holy Spirit manifest in power after this sermon? We turned the lights on, opened the windows, the piano player went to the piano, I said, don't play music. They stood in the circle. We pray, and in ten minutes... Those 300 Baptists were laying all over the floor, speaking in tongues. There was no laying on of hands. It was a supernatural wave that went over the people. Now, notice here. Again, this is a hypnotic technique. He is planting in their minds the expectation of what they are to do when the time comes when he you know, says, come Holy Spirit, he's expecting them to lay on the floor for them to speak in tongues and that nobody would touch them. Remember, John Wimber went on and on and on about how, no, you know, how all these people were falling over and speaking in tongues, you know, like turkeys, and, um, and that Lonnie Frisbee 
didn't touch any of them. Yet, in the sermon itself, he planted in their mind the expectation for all of that. Let me back this up just a smidge. Listen again. Our player went to the piano. I said, don't play music. They stood in the circle. We pray, and in 10 minutes, those 300 Baptists were laying all over the floor, speaking in tongues. There was no laying on of hands. It was a supernatural wave that went over the people like this and baptized 300 Baptists with the Holy Ghost. They were singing and speaking in tongues. That was one of the greatest baptisms of the Holy Spirit I ever saw. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know how stiff and rigid the South African people are. They're very proper, you know. They would never do anything like fall down. Yeah, they would never. They, they See, that's, that's proof that this had to be the Holy Spirit because of how proper they are. And he, in, in telling this story, is planting in their minds what they are to do when the time comes. There was a black evangelist, 27 years old. He called 23 blind people. I think the number was 23. It was in the headlines of the paper. Came forward in this meeting in South Africa. It happened while we were there. He prayed the Lord instant Spontaneously healed every single one of them at one time. There were incurable blood diseases. There was a manifestation that the Lord worked with the elements. One night we were in a church and the windows were open. And as we started to pray, the Spirit of God blew through the church in a mighty wind. It blew the curtains right up to the top of the ceiling like this. And there was a, a, a bolt of lightning and a crack of thunder. And 12 people fell on the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody was even near them. They just, this is in a Baptist church now. The Lord was working with the elements, see. And so now for what I have. Sounds to me like it, with those Baptists in South Africa, he had planted in their minds the expectation and uh, there's always a trigger with hypnotism, you know, that when the unexpected thing happens, then that's the trigger for all of these suggested things for that, for, for, you know, for them to then manifest and happen. And so there was a weather event that night. Lonnie Frisbee was working the crowd, planting in their minds and the suggestions of what it is that they were to, expected to do. And when the uh, the supercell thunderstorm came rolling through, there was a derosure in front of it, and the straight-line winds did what straight-line winds do, and there was lightning and thunder, and then that triggered them. That was the unexpected thing. This sounds exactly like Lonnie Frisbee knew a thing or two about hypnotism. Mm-hmm. Say, you'll turn in your Bible to Isaiah... Chapter 60, feel the Spirit of the Lord, feel the move of the Spirit. We're entering into it now. I want everybody to be sensitive. I want everybody to seek God and draw the presence of the Lord into this meeting. What? 
Everybody be sensitive, seek, and and you can draw the Spirit of the Lord to the meeting. Listen to that theology again. Now, I want everybody to be sensitive. I want everybody to seek God and draw the presence of the Lord into this meeting. Just this quick word, and we're going to enter into some ministry. Did you know that the Lord is shifting responsibility from the man behind the pulpit? To the body of Christ. Did you know that God is shifting responsibility from the pastor to the body of Christ? This is what he's saying is attacking biblical ecclesiology. No way, Jose. Did you know that we're coming to the end of the superstar minister that does everything, prays for the sick, does the funeral, does the wedding, hospital visitations? sings the solos, preaches the sermons, anoints the people for healing. It, it's the responsibility shifting on you. Now, some ministers don't want to let it go. Some congregations don't want to receive it. It's a combination of... Yes, God wants to do this, and see, there are some ministers who are just being sinful and sticking to their biblical guns. Uh Uh-huh. Notice the attack on biblical ecclesiology. False. False. But, you see, we're trying to tell you guys, it's coming on you, get ready! It's the army of God! We're going to march in our ranks, and we're not going to break our ranks, and we're not going to be jealous of one another because what I do is my responsibility in God, and what you do is your responsibility, and I need you, and you need me, and we need to function together. But it's not right functioning together because the responsibility in these days is too great for one man. It's crushing. I see men, ministers having nervous breakdowns because they... They don't yeah, let- this new this new move of the spirit it, it can't possibly uh, ministry can't be done by pastors anymore. No, 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 no. It's too much for a pastor. Straight up attack against biblical ecclesiology. You are a model of what God wants to show the church. A lot of places, learn, move, flow. It'll be a little dangerous. Learn how to step out. You know, a little bit more when the Lord says, come. The Lord is saying, come. The Lord tonight is saying to you, come. Let's go into a greater dimension. Now, listen to this. God's saying, let's go into a greater dimension. No, he's not. Now, the copy of the sermon that I have, uh, it's broken up into weird pieces. And so I, I don't think it's actually been delivered linearly, but that's the only one that I have that kind of outlines it in this way. And so uh, what we're going to do now is, this is the next part of it. I apologize for the choppiness, but uh, the, the whoever put this together on YouTube, uh, you know, this was how they put it together. I'm going to, you know, so from here, we're going to hear this, the ministry time with uh, the music and the guitar lady strumming and doing her thing. And Lonnie Frisbee talking about, you know, ministering to the young people and letting the Holy Spirit come. Yeah, listen in. Oh, okay, adults, lay your hands out towards the young people right 
it out towards the young people. Right towards them. Let them come. Let the Holy Spirit come. Let them come. Don't hold them back. You got to let the Holy Spirit come. Straight up false theology here. In the midst of the congregation. Hold them in a yielding position. Availability. The adults, you find a group of young people and you stretch your hands out towards them. And you take the authority in the name of Jesus. And you begin to pray with faith. And you begin to believe God to use the young people in this church. There's a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the young people here. So now he's saying there's a tremendous outpouring. It's here. So all of the things that he has used via hypnotic subjection, they they all now know what they're supposed to do. The Lord is moving upon these girls right here. Lift up your hands. Open your eyes. Everybody keep your eyes open in this. The Spirit of the Lord is moving upon you right now in great power. Look at me. If the Spirit of the Lord was already moving on them in great power, wouldn't that already be visible? Why are you having to tell them that that's the case? Because now their expectation is is that there's, oh, oh, this is where we're supposed to manifest the Spirit. you in Jesus' name. Let the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit come on you right here. Let it happen right now. Come on, let it. It's up to you. You've got to let it. Let him move on you, my brother. In the name of Jesus, I bless you in his name. Receive the power of God. It moves in a chain reaction. Let the Spirit of the Lord... It moves in a chain reaction. Again, another hypnotic technique. Putting a suggestion in their mind. Oh, it moves like a chain reaction. Okay, so now when he snaps his finger or looks at him sideways, they'll all fall over in a chain reaction. As the Lord fills you, let the Lord fill you. Because as the Lord fills you, he'll move on others around about you. The Spirit of the Lord is moving right here. The girl in the green sweater right here. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Look at me. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come on your whole body right now. In Jesus' let. name. And now on the, the person next to her. And now on this Guy in the blue shirt right here. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in great power. Let the Spirit of the Lord move over here. In the name of Jesus, I bless you in his name. It knows he's shouting now. Uh-huh. I think you get the idea. This guy was a showman. He used the techniques of hypnotism. That wasn't the Holy Spirit at all. And the dead giveaway was his complete mangling and twisting of God's word. His attacks against sound biblical ecclesiology, his claims to having conversations with God, and all the while twisting God's word and teaching false doctrine. 
and John Wimber wasn't able to spot it. I, I wonder why. Hmm. So there you go. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I enjoy going back in time and listening to these historical sermons. It uh, shows us, you know, how we got to where we are right now. And Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard played an instrumental role in the rise of this weird, charismatic NAR stuff that we're seeing today. None of it is biblical or even Christian. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. His vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>